Welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, Yogesh Joshi, a research fellow at the Institute. Today we are going to talk about Russia-India relationship. Though Russia has been one of New Delhi's strongest strategic partners and its principal defense supplier, Russia's war on Ukraine has catapulted the relationship to public scrutiny like never before, both from inside and without. On one hand, New Delhi has defended its public position, which remains averse to publicly criticizing Russia and abstaining from any multilateral action against Moscow and the UN, even at a growing expense of greater and severe Western criticism. India believes that private dialogues rather than public admonition are best and most efficient ways of stopping hostilities. On the other hand, India has used the moment of Russia's isolation to pursue its national interests, particularly in importing natural resources from a heavily sanctioned Russian economy. Diplomatically too, Russia serves as an important opening for dialogue and communication with China, as was evident during the SCO summit. India-Russia relationship therefore provides one of the most scintillating insights into contemporary Indian foreign policy and strategic thought. The recent takeover of G20 presidency where India brokered an acceptable global position on Russia's war in Ukraine, followed by Indian Foreign Minister's S.J. Shankar's visit to Moscow, first since the beginning of hostilities in Ukraine, provides a compelling background to talk about India-Russia relations. Joining me for this conversation today is perhaps the most knowledgeable mind in India on all issues concerning Russia-India strategic relationship, Nandan Unikrishnan. Nanan Unikrishnan is currently a Distinguished Fellow at Observer Research Foundation, New Delhi. He joined ORF in 2004. He looks after the Eurasia program and is an alumnus of Jawaharlal Nehru University, where he began his career as a journalist with uh, the Press Trust of India. He has decades of experience covering Russia and knows Russia, Russian fluently. Nandan, uh, welcome to South Asia Chat. Thanks for uh, coming to the platform. Thank you for inviting me, Yogesh. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, so, start beginning with, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, Russia-India relationship, in a sense, in this broad dynamics, very important year, not only for Russia, but also India-Russia relationship, uh, we kind of see that it has been almost a year, nine months, uh, since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, and throughout this time, India has kept its engagements with Moscow alive. However, Russia, a country with whom India has had stable relations for a long time, has now become a more controversial foreign policy issue. Uh, while India has not openly condemned Russia for the war, it has on different occasions stressed the importance of putting an end to the conflict. What is your assessment of Delhi's evolving considerations? One, and second, how is India navigating the complexities associated with the Russian war? Thank you. I think that is a fairly wide-ranging question and it will be difficult to address it very briefly, but let me make a stab at it. I think uh, it's very clear that this war, that is 24th February, has upended the world as we knew it. And uh, from an Indian perspective, this war could not have come at a worse time. You know, India was just coming out of uh, the COVID lockdowns. India was looking towards... Uh, uh, trying to stabilize its economy and focus on growth. Then came the tensions between the United States and China. So given the kind of turmoil and given India's uh, predominant focus at this point on its uh, growth story, uh, the war has only added to the uh, uncertainty of the world in a much bigger manner. 
disruption of supply chains, uh, disruption of the commodities market, uh, price rise. So, you know, and of course, uh, instability in any part of the world has its uh, echoes across the globe. So given that kind of context, India undoubtedly seeks uh, a quick end to this war, and that is quite natural. Uh, but yes, you noted very uh, uh, succinctly in the beginning that India has refused to condemn uh, the Russian action. And uh, these are two reasons for it. One is unlike uh, what is uh, projected, let's say, by the West, uh, India does not fully agree that this is an unprovoked war. Uh, India uh, does not agree that war is the solution, but it also sees that, I mean, to put it simply, it takes two hands to clap. So, you know, uh, it's very difficult to produce that sound with just one hand. So that is one aspect. The second aspect is that uh, India has a long-standing relationship with Russia. And uh, yes, there are some dependencies in some critical strategic areas. But beyond that, I think uh, India is also keen that Russia remain a pole in international affairs because uh, India is keen to try and move away towards a more multipolar world in which it feels that it will have a, a greater ability to voice its concerns and have them heeded. Uh, so you may not agree with other great powers on every issue. You may have issues of difference, but it will be what uh, uh, one of my interlocutors a few years ago called a coalition of interests, you know, rather than anything else. So given that kind of context, I think India's uh, stance on the war is not surprising. I also think that India has a very good team that is handling its foreign policy today. And uh, they have uh, navigated this uh, tightrope, as it were, or troubled seas, if you want. They, they seem to have navigated it well so far. It is not going to get easier. It is only going to get more difficult. But uh, their performance so far gives confidence that uh, India will be able to uh, sort of deal with all the underwater stones that are likely to come up. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting perspective, particularly, uh, you know, uh, when we look at uh, how uh, India's actions and uh, its voices are perceived in the West. Uh, and uh, within India as well. And there's a lot of public support in some sense as well uh, regarding India's position on the Ukraine war. Uh, uh, so, you know, moving on, this question about resources. Uh, so, you know, th this is kind of keeps on coming in whether India is exploiting a sanctioned Russian economy. Uh, is, uh, is India supporting the war effort? In Ukraine, uh, you know, and this is the constant narrative uh, when you look at some of uh, the Western concerns. Uh, so Russia has been, uh, you know, uh, India's biggest supplier of military equipment for decades. It is the fourth biggest market for India, Indian pharmaceutical products. In fact, a recent report suggested that India and China are now buying oil at a 40% discount rates. It is also reported that Russia is facing shortfalls in many critical components both for consumer goods as well as in technology-intensive sector. 
would India respond to Russian requests while facing the dangers associated with Western displeasure? Uh, what do you make of the bilateral trade relationship? Uh, and lastly, and very broadly, how do you see Russia coping with the effects of the sanctions? I think uh, it is a question that raises a lot of doubts in lots of people's minds. Uh, and uh, in a sense, it was best handled by our foreign minister, Mr. Jayashankar, recently, who pointed out that, you know, this binary choice, either you're with the West or with the rest, as it were, you know, is not something that India recognizes as legitimate. Uh, India has its own interests, and uh, therefore the choice for India is India. It is not between the West and Russia or West and China or something. The choice is very clearly India. Given that a war has broken out, given that there was a huge spike in oil prices, and India is a very price-sensitive economy, we, as I said earlier, for us the primary task is growth and uh, lifting out of poverty the hundreds of millions of people. So uh, I think it is but natural that India would... Uh, gravitate towards purchasing wherever oil is cheapest and not just oil hydrocarbons in general so at this point of time the Russians are offering you the cheapest and therefore you see them shooting from less than 1% in nine months to something close to 20% of your oil imports uh, let's not forget India imports about 85% of its oil so in that sense I don't think uh, it's valid to try and suggest that, oh, India is helping the war effort. And it's even more hypocritical, in a sense, for the West to say it, because even today, as of now, they still buy more oil from, uh, I mean, energy products from uh, Russia than India does. You know, so all said and done, I think uh, let's wait till 5th December when this oil a cap and all is supposed to come in and then start even partial judgments can start then but till then I think uh, all these judgments are premature that's point number one point number two uh, is a sort of a combined issue of uh, will India help uh, to deal with what ostensibly are shortages that the Russian economy is facing and it's linked to the question of are sanctions having effect. Uh, I would, would put it slightly differently. Sanctions will have effect. In the long run, the sanctions are uh, the most wide-ranging and the most thorough uh, set of sanctions ever imposed on any country in the world, right? And uh, I think I mean, this is paradoxical. I don't think any other country could have withstood it. The reason Russians are able to withstand it is nothing great. It's just that shows how disconnected they are from the world economy. You know, in a sense that they were dependent on the world economy for certain elements of technology, for uh, uh, certain other inputs, but they were not integrated into the world economy, let's say, like the Chinese are, or the United States, or even India. So in one sense, uh, that has turned out to be a, a sort of an unintended uh, side benefit for the Russians. But on the other hand, the denial of access to Western 
financial markets, denial of access to Western technology will definitely have its effect on the Russian economy, uh, if not immediately, and definitely not immediately, but within the next one year, I think you will start seeing the first signs of it. As far as shortages are concerned, uh, you know, this list that came out in this Reuters story yesterday is not circulating only yesterday. It's, a, it's a, actually a few months old. And soon after the war began, the Russia was circulating this list to many of its friends because it anticipated that there would be gaps in its economy, which it won't be able to address. After all, in the automobile sector, all the foreign companies have pulled out. Uh, I think everyone, absolutely, whether it's the Western or, I mean, most of them are Western, or the South Koreans or the Japanese, they've all pulled out from their factories. So these uh, automobile factories are idling. And uh, clearly, there is a very large fleet of cars on the road which have, would have to continue to be maintained. So automobile spares is an automatic uh, sort of inclusion on any list that Russia would seek uh, replacement. Currently, they're looking at, they're discussing this with China. China, in fact, apparently is going to take over a couple of factories. Uh, there's also discussions with Iran, uh, and uh, they're even considering importing Iranian cars into Russia. So Russia will eventually cope. Yes, it may not have luxury items like the Mercedes or the BMW or Lexus, but they will have vehicles for transportation. You know, they're not going to start walking or suddenly have to everyone pile into the metro. So, you know, so you, the, 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 the shortages are relative. The worst hit in Russian society by all these sanctions are likely to be the upper middle class and above. You know, they are the ones who are going to be worst hit. Because uh, the working class, or what we would call the lower class or working class, and the middle class are not likely to be hit because in Russia, in any case, they did not live on dollars. They never lived as part of the dollar economy. And uh, they uh, don't deal with foreign travel too much. And uh, uh, they always led a life that was, while yes, they had access to foreign goods, but, uh, you know, they, they were careful about their expenditures. So, all in all, I think the uh, sanctions will bite, uh, definitely by next year. They are not uh, having an impact right now, maybe very minor. And uh, final, will India help? Again, this is a matter of cost-benefit analysis. You see, India has so far very carefully uh, walked the uh, sanctions road. You know, it has mostly, India and China both, in fact, have observed the sanctions by and large. But India has also displayed its ability to push back where its interests are met. I mean, are uh, being challenged. For example, the S-400. So this will be a cost-benefit analysis on is it worthwhile increasing our auto spare exports to Russia or is it not worth incurring the displeasure of the West, as you put it, on this particular issue? And uh, I think that bridge will get crossed when you reach it. Right. So, yeah, so it's at the end of the day, you have to make that those calculations, particularly on the economic opportunity cost of it. 
because even when the strategic relationship, uh, the diplomatic relationship, the defense relationship uh, has always been on the stronger side economically, India-Russia bilateral trade stands at 10 billion or something like that, you know, maybe around that around that figure. So, you know, you, you do a calculate opportunity costs of $150 billion with the US itself and $10 billion over here. But just an addendum to this question about resource constraints and economic sanctions uh, is, you know, when the defense relationship a lot more depends upon Russia's capability and ability uh, to furnish those defense products, uh, you know, and you know the defense landscape in Russia very well. How are the economic sanctions hitting Russian capa capacity uh, and does this portend any dangers to India? We know that as 400 systems were furnished when they were promised. Uh, but when, when we are looking at a long term, you know, five to ten years down the line, uh, does that make India kind of, you know, uh, any decision maker in Delhi sit back and think, oh, would the Russian economy has will have that continued capacity uh, to kind of produce these systems effectively and, uh, you know, provide them to us? So is there any thought on that? Yeah, Yogesh, I'm sure policy planners are thinking on those lines. And I'm sure this is what you've mentioned is a concern with them in India. Uh, they must be making constant evaluations, literally on a month-to-month -month basis, about the performance of the Russian economy. So far, I have not heard any reports or suggestions that uh, defense supplies are significantly hit by the war. Uh, and the Russian uh, usage of weapons in this war seems to indicate that uh, they are able to replenish whatever losses they are facing, right? Uh, we don't really have any authentic figures because, I mean, honestly speaking, I don't trust the figures that Ukraine provides, neither do I trust the figures that the Russian Defense Ministry provides. So, and unfortunately, in a situation like war, trying to come to the solution that it must be somewhere in the middle is probably also not the right solution to this particular problem. So, uh, we don't really have any concrete figures as to uh, human losses, technical uh, technology, I mean, I mean, hardware losses. So, uh, it is very difficult to make a credible evaluation. But if you judge by the standard with which the Russians are expending uh, ammunition, the kind of uh, hardware they're using on a daily basis, uh, they seem to be having some reserves still. Right. Uh, surely, uh, you know, we will have to. The economy is a long game in some sense or the other. Uh, and I think, you know, this is the makers in Delhi are constantly kind of looking over the shoulders of, 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 you know, determining what the capacity of the Russian economy is. Uh, and given that, you know, uh, and Russian um, endowments, it's not, it's not an economy which can just be pushed over. As you rightly said, that West had very little to punish Russia over because of the very little interdependence on that, on, on that front. Uh, but the, uh, coming back to one of the central, you know, uh, which I think India is sometimes pushed in, uh, you know, sometimes it's goaded to, and sometimes, sometimes it's also enticed to, in a sense of playing a mediator. Uh, you know, uh, so there are all kinds of push and pulls in some sense. But what, you know, I, I want to kind of refigure this question in a different way. To me, the Ukrainian war appears to be a total war 
in a very different sense, uh, not in the scale, uh, you know, and uh, uh, levels of violence alone, uh, but a total war in a sense of lack of a sense of compromise. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, they, they, you know, the war, you know, any kind of use of force uh, has to, from both sides, the stronger side or the weaker side, depending upon the balance of capabilities and resolve, has to come down to a compromise. Uh, now, it appears to have become uh, a no compromise war, uh, particularly because neither side, either side takes it in either or terms. And that is particularly because it has become a battle of values as well, you know, from the West as well as Ukraine and on the Russian side. Uh, now, where would, in, the, in that kind of a situation, where, how and when can you mediate? Uh, and does India in any sense would be interested in mediating this conflict? Uh, and if so, what kind of a role would India play? Uh, in this war of no compromises? I think you, uh, it's a very uh, perceptive remark that you made about uh, the total war being uh, a war of no compromises. Uh, I agree with you, though, the Russian position and the Ukrainian position today seems so extreme that there does not seem to be any uh, level at which you can somehow bridge the gap that exists between them. Uh, that is point number one. However, uh, there are many nuances to the current situation, uh, which are, one is domestic uh, public opinion in both countries, as well as in the West. Uh, the regularity of arms supplies, particularly from the West to Ukraine, that is a huge leverage that the West has on Ukraine at this point of time. Uh, and, of course, Russia is acutely aware that while there may have been, you know, these overwhelming votes in the United Nations, uh, practically no countries outside the West have joined the sanctions regime and continue business as usual with Russia, right? So, therefore, uh, the Russians would, uh, while they appreciate that, they also would be loath to lose that kind of goodwill that they had currently enjoyed. So I think combined, they are getting the message that uh, war, which was enunciated by uh, the Indians at the uh, Samarkand summit of the SCO, that this is not an era of war. I think that message is coming through. But what the Russians are suggesting that it is not us who are lacking in a desire to talk whatever may be the parameters of talk, but it's the other side that has to come to the table. We are ready. And as an example, I mean, you have to even look at the Turkish effort. Uh, in fact, even today, uh, President uh, Erdogan does not accuse the Russians of lacking a desire to talk, you know. And they came the closest to trying to resolve the problem when, you know, the two foreign ministers uh, of Russia and Ukraine, as well as the foreign minister of Turkey, initialed a document which essentially outlined some possibilities of a solution. Of course, those were early days of war. Uh, but still, so the possibility of compromise exists. Uh, the question is, who is going to push it? 
And in that context, of course, many people have suggested that India has a role. Uh, I think India does not have a role as the main mediator. Uh, India can play a role in some specific issues, uh, but not definitely as the main mediator. Because I cannot imagine the Ukrainians accepting India as a mediator. You know, it's, it's just not possible. And uh, I, I genuinely, I mean, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I genuinely cannot see the United States being happy with a situation where India is a mediator in this particular war. So, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I think, is a stretch. But it is something that plays well in domestic politics. So you will still continue to hear this conversation uh, that India has, you know, arrived at the world stage. We uh, can go and try and sort out. And very often you hear people saying, oh, we stopped the war to get our students out, uh, apart from being untrue. But, you know, the fact is you did get your students out. And you're the only country that uh, managed to do that. Uh, but what people forget is you're the only country that attempted that. So I think the government is in a very happy situation, you know, in a sense that in domestically it reaps them all the status uh, you know, as well as they don't have to do the heavy lifting in any case. You know, that's the best position diplomatically. What else any government would want? No, no, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you. But I must say that, you know, the, the, this situation has not come about by itself. India has played this game. It came under intense pressure soon after the war broke out. Uh, we withstood that pressure. I mean, you have to give credit to uh, the government that it managed to withstand that pressure without compromising its position, without uh, diluting or uh, worsening its relationship with all parties, uh, the West, Russia, everyone. And uh, it has now come out in a situation where a recent conversation I had with a couple of Western diplomats, they're very clear that there's no point pressurizing India on this, that India is going to do things at its own pace, at its own uh, cost-benefit uh, analysis and that Western pressure could at times actually be counterproductive. Although it's not as if they don't do it, whenever Western officials visit, I'm sure privately they try and push their agenda, but that's their job. And uh, I would be surprised if they didn't. Uh, no, definitely. <laughs> I, agree, I agree with that. Uh, so coming back, you know, when you look at... so. Let's come back to looking at how the war impacts India rather than the India-Russia relationship. Uh, and which is particularly because the shadow of the Ukrainian war will continue uh, for several years down the line. You know, it's strategic implications, it's technical implications, it's diplomatic implications, all kinds of implications. But the next year is important for India, uh, given that it's the G20 presidency. Uh, you know, India has found a very nice but also niche space for itself as, you know, somewhere between uh, a rising power with third world, uh, you know, concerns in some sense or a voice for the third world, uh, you know. Uh, so it's it's kind of a very delicate diplomatic position which serves India's interests well. How would the Ukrainian war, uh, you know, complicate India's G20 presidency? And what kind of, uh, you know, given what has happened through the year, you know, and all kinds of whether economic, political, diplomatic, multilateral too, complexities with it, which it has generated. 
what kind of opportunities also does it provide for India in its G20 presidency? You know, today if you opened Indian newspapers, you had op-ed articles by the Prime Minister of India speaking precisely of this opportunity that G20 gives India to promote an inclusive, a developmental agenda that addresses the burning issues uh, facing the world about, uh, you know, climate change, sustainable development, etc., etc. Uh, I think India is going to focus on the positives of what the G20 can provide uh, first. The second thing is that I think it is inevitable that the Ukraine war is going to cast its shadow on uh, G20 throughout the year. It is inevitable that the West will keep pushing uh, to try and get the G20 to back its agenda. And uh, it is also probably inevitable that the other countries, the non-West, will push back but will seek a compromise of some kind. So you may have a couple of statements which would uh, be interpreted as uh, sort of a movement closer to the Western position. Uh, but in reality, I think that would be a stretch because I've seen people suggesting that uh, the declaration that came out in uh, uh, Jakarta was actually an endorsement of the Western position on the Ukraine war and the rest of the world came out to criticize the Russians and all. But if you read whatever has been written there, the written word at least, that is clearly not the sense that you get out of it. Uh, I also think that, yes, there is a challenge because India will have to navigate this. Uh, but in a sense, India is in not a bad position because as I was mentioning earlier, India has reached a stage where the West has realized that uh, pressurizing India could be counterproductive. So I don't know how much pressure would actually be put on this. The second factor, which is again something that most people uh, seem to forget, India is simultaneously the chair of SCO for the same year. So being the chair of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, there are certain other responsibilities on you. So in that sense, India can uh, dovetail the two and walk the tightrope quite, uh, I, I, not with ease, with difficulty, but it should be able to walk the tightrope. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Now, if I think about it, I don't know whether it's a great opportunity or whether, or whether a very delicate responsibility. <laughs> you know, when you look at SEO. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, uh, you know, so before we close this, and I wanted to pick your brains on something uh, which in some sense is uh, very close to my research, but I think which very all the Western criticisms as well as Indian writings on why the position which India has taken on Russia, uh, you know, has kind of missed out. Either it is about the defense relationship, it, either it is about multipolarity and all that. And when you look at the archival documents, you know, when you look it through the perceptions of Indian decision makers throughout the Cold War, for that matter, one thing which comes out very clearly for me is that they do want an autonomous center of power in Eurasia. Uh, you know, and I'm talk, not talking about multipolarity here, independent poles, as you mentioned, 
But this is central to Eurasia that there should not be one alignment of power in Eurasia. And I clearly remember, you know, when they when India asked for joint security guarantees from both Soviet Union and the US after the Chinese test in 1964, and the Americans were willing to provide unilateral guarantees. Uh, one of the concerns within Delhi was that even if that be so the case, you know, if Moscow doesn't join, uh, then there is a huge issue because uh, you know we we won't have that balance of power in Eurasia, uh, and that is a central argument which has runs through when India's engagement, at least in my perception, and I may be wrong, that you need to have this autonomous power center uh, which can does all kind of balancing in the Eurasian continent. Uh, which no maritime democracies can actually balance, you know, and India being a continental country, so to say, uh, you know, uh, so that becomes very important for me. And I want to ask you as, you know, uh, as given your expertise, uh, given your knowledge of Russia, given your knowledge of India and Russia, uh, would the Indian decision makers sitting in Delhi would have to now determine how independent and how autonomous Russia can be uh, given not only the rise of China, uh, not only the very strong alignment one can see uh, between Russia and China, uh, not only that all many significant problems in Russia-China relationship, which we often used to bank upon saying that this alignment would not lead to an alliance, appear to be somewhere down the line getting resolved, uh, but the very incapacity in some sense of the Russian state after the Ukrainian war. Uh, do the Indian decision makers have to determine, go back to the drawing boards and see whether there can be an autonomous and an independent uh, Russia, uh, which can in some sense fundamentally create, you know, a very delicate balance of power alive in Eurasia. Yugesh, one of the reasons I love talking to you is you're probably, uh, I mean, I can't think of, I was just trying to recall names. I can't think of more than half a dozen people in India who would refer to what happened in 1964 and link it to today, you know. Uh, and you're absolutely right. The choice between in front of India is exactly the same. Do we allow Russia to sort of sink and become an appendage of China? Or do we try and keep it afloat in whatever manner feasible, right? Because if, and let's be very clear, as you said, if Russia is not uh, independent power or a force or a player in Eurasia, uh, hegemony of one country or alignment, as you delicately called it, of one country in uh, Eurasia is almost a given. And that is definitely given the fact that we have our uh, continental borders is not something that India would countenance or de uh, be happy with. So therefore, I think it's a given that we are going to look at this balance and we are going to take decisions that would uh, work towards uh, ensuring that Eurasia does not fall within the control of one particular power. The second issue is, uh, you know, the, uh, the level of trust that Ru India has today in uh, uh, Russia 
and its growing alignment with uh, China. I think this is a matter of concern. We, I mean, if you remember, we have been flagging it for a few years, even before this crisis began. And uh, it is something that uh, has been surprising many in terms of the way they are able to remove some of the pinpricks that existed in the relationship, the way they are able to smoothen those out. But the fundamental fact remains, Russia did not walk away from being a junior partner in the alliance with the West to become a junior partner of China. So if you look at it, if you for a moment look at it from uh, a Russian perspective, what is this whole war about? This whole war about is Russia did not want to be subordinate to the West. So why would a country that is uh, so proud and does not want to be subordinate, why would it accept subordination to some other power? That is point number one. The second point, and that is even more important, I suspect, China is not interested in an alignment with Russia to the extent that it should become a formal alliance. The same problem exists with China that exists for us. China's relationships and gravity of the relationships is with the West. I mean, even if China's trade with Russia is 100 billion, just think about the trillions that is, it trades and uh, produces for the West. So China's economic future is not going to be determined by Russia. So therefore, China is not going to risk beyond a point what it has. And the fundamental structural differences that exist between Russia and China are not really going away very far. Both are great powers. Both want to have zones of influence, and they are bound to rub against each other uh, at various points. So that gives heart. And the final, which is of course uh, more maybe a frivolous thought, but nevertheless, I credit United States with a lot of uh, analytical capability, and I am quite confident that they would not decide to simultaneously fight both Russia and China if they thought there is the possibility at the end that there'll be a total alignment between China and Russia. Uh, it, uh, aligning Chinese economy with Russian weaponry would not be a solution that the Americans are looking at. So I think the Americans are also quietly confident that there are limits to that partnership. Right. You know, the, the, the dilemma for India is that which of these two states U.S. intends to confront uh, and therefore create a wedge. So if it's if it's Russia, then, you know, it's a really difficult problem for India, uh, because as so far, I think one of the fundamental, uh, you know, assumptions in the Indian case is that our interest in Ukraine are fundamentally asymmetrical to American interest in India vis-a-vis -vis China. And that basically tells all, you know, when it comes to India uh, and Ukraine war in Russia. Uh, Nandan, thank you so much for your uh, invaluable time and very deep thoughts on India-Russia relationship. Uh, I have personally always learned a lot from you, but I guess everyone around uh, who would be listening to this uh, must feel much more enlightened and enriched uh, when it comes to this very complex relationship. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, uh, and we will have you again some, some other day.
Thank you for inviting me, Yogesh. As usual, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for those kind words, much of which is an exaggeration, but nevertheless, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Uh, you were listening to South Asia Chat. To learn more about our work, visit us at ices.nus.edu.sg. You can also get updates on social media. We are on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you so much.